computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name's Tom Z, and joining me as always is Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we are recording uh, late afternoon here, Pacific Time on Monday, and we just watched and streamed this most recent Lakers win over the rival Boston Celtics. It was a very close matchup that came down to a missed Kemba Waka and Daniel Tice attempts at the buzzer. So, Tim, really quick here, uh, just diving right into the Boston game. We streamed it. We covered some of the adjustments that were made uh, during the game. Probably the most prominent was that final shift there from Alex Caruso. You know, he had only had, I think, seven minutes, eight minutes tops going into the fourth quarter. And the Lakers played him most, if not all, of the fo- that fourth quarter. So I'm just curious, Tim, what you saw from any adjustments, Caruso uh, or not, what you thought generally takeaways from that Boston matchup. Yeah, Caruso's a good call out. Yet again, we were like, man, he hasn't played much. And then he just plays that pretty much, I think, maybe the entire fourth quarter. I'm not sure if he he came out at all. Yeah, he just was all over the place, played with a bunch of energy. I'm almost surprised he's able to do that, like go from almost nothing to just like full force for the whole quarter. And the team has talked about like not quite load managing him, but preserving his body. And I would think shorter, more spread out stints instead of a tiny bit of Caruso and then like, all Caruso all the time fourth quarter might be better for his health. But hey, it worked. Uh, he had a high impact. Talking adjustments, something that we covered on the stream was the bit of a chess match between the two teams when it came to Boston helping on the Laker post-ups. LA had a great matchup this game in terms of being a bit bigger than Boston. And we saw Trez attacking the post, LeBron attacking the post, AD attacking the post quite a bit. And as we talked about in the scouting report, Boston's normal extra help is digging from the high side, high man ball side, uh, which the Lakers were countering with having that guy cut or just kicking it out for some catch and shoot threes. So what Boston started doing was in addition to that dig, they bump the next perimeter player over and take away that immediate pass out or cut, which gave L.A. a numbers advantage on the weak side, which we didn't really do much with. So instead of countering that specific look, what the Lakers did later in the game was just say, we don't want this look at all. And instead, we're going to clear out the floor and let LeBron just or AD go to work with nobody else by them. And I was surprised, honestly, that Boston didn't zone up on the weak side, pack the pain and provide extra help. They just seemed content to say, all right, like it was like the old NBA rules where you couldn't leave your guy as much. And they just let us go to work a little bit. So LA made some adjustments. Boston made some adjustments. Lakers came out on top. Uh, I liked what I saw in terms of the rotation changed a bit. Uh, we saw Keith didn't play. We saw that West didn't play in lieu of West playing. And I honestly was thinking this would be a good matchup for him in terms of his, the, the defense asked of him instead of him chasing smaller guys around screens, he can kind of defend Tatum and Brown and two guys that played pretty well, uh, in lieu of West being that wing stock, we saw Kuz. Uh, his top two matchups that game were Tatum and Brown. I thought he did pretty well. Crusoe did 
well. He's a little bit undersized for them. So it could have been a West game, but the Lakers went to nine guys, streamlined things, worked out pretty well. THT and Schroeder did okay in the point of attack matchups. Um, and I don't know. It was it was okay. It, it's We're a, one made shot away from approaching this podcast and, and that whole stretch a little bit differently because uh, when you win by that that small margin, it's – it's truly a game of inches and Caruso hustling on that last play. Shout him out one more time. He made it so that Jalen Brown couldn't get a transition bucket at the end of the game, had to reset. And then uh, Boston ended up missing those, those shots at the end. So pulled it out, but it was a tight one. Uh, there's still plenty of more work to do, but LA seemed to care from a game planning standpoint and certainly changed the rotation up. And this is the second game in a row. We are, Two games sober from the lineup of Matt, which I think is worth noting as well. I like how you put that two games sober. Um, I want to quickly, Tim, uh, throw in a little um, context here. Quotes from Frank Vogel. And, you know, I'm on Harrison's uh, Twitter page right now. He does a great job aggregating a lot of these quotes. So this is Frank Vogel asked about Caruso's hustle down the stretch. Uh, part of the play quote, part of the play harder than your opponent identity is who is changing ends harder, who is changing ends and running the floor offensively, who is sprinting back harder defensively. They're all things we preach every day and hold guys accountable for. And quite frankly, we haven't done it well enough the first few games of this trip, but we got a pretty solid performance in that regard tonight. So, you know, that's a big example of literally what you just described in that last play in Jalen Brown. Right. And, um, it was it was really helpful and curious to see where what they thought of Jason Tatum and the kind of player he is to put Caruso on him because Caruso, you know, is a point of attack defender and Jason Tatum has quite a big of a size advantage over Alex Caruso, but only in, he's able to get to his spots in the mid range easy and he wasn't. And that's part of Alex Caruso's genius is he's not able to let you get to those spots. Maybe if you, you know, run some actions around him, that would be a little bit easier. But Jason Tatum's pretty heavy isolation scorer, you know, so and so I just found that curious to see what it's not disrespectful. It's just saying, hey, Jason Tatum, we don't think that you can use your size to beat Alex Caruso the way a Jalen Brown could in the post and exploit that matchup. So we're going to take away. What are your strengths of being on ball and, and having moves and being able to create your own shot? And I thought it helped quite a bit. You know, we saw that whole game, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were on fire. And is that because Caruso wasn't guarding him? Maybe. You know, I think it was a lot of the Lakers team defense, to be perfectly honest with you. But you could see why, you know, last year when but when we did we refired up the pod. We were both a little bit more worried about the matchup with Boston, partly because of the youth, the wings, the size that they could throw at LeBron and AD. Um, it's just not what Miami had. So I, I was not worried about the Celtics per se. It was just a little bit of a more difficult matchup. And then to your point, yeah, um, LeBron on quotes so shortening the rotation. Quote, as professionals, you always have to stay ready when your number's called. We're here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to win a championship. That's what it is, right? So, and and Frank told Mike Crudell that they wanted to experiment with the nine-man rotation. These are not easy things. A 10-man rotation with two guys playing 37, 38 minutes isn't easy. This quote continues. It's the toughest part of the job, but those two guys are consummate pros, and this is not permanent. We'll continue to evaluate what we've got to do to our rotation to get W's. 
So part of the reason Wes fell out of the, the lineup, at least in some part, is that Taylor Horton Tucker got 23 minutes in this game. He went three for eight. He ended a minus three, you know, <clears throat> a modest six points to five personal fouls. But he did other stuff, four rebounds, two assists, two steals. I thought he did provide the Lakers with a little bit of a scoring punch there and just an ability to create as I have, uh, you know, bar, you know, uh, argued for on this the, here pod. SSTHT. That's right. So what did you think of THT's performance last night in, in a in a big role in 23 minutes off the bench? He played he we saw some good, we saw some bad. I think the bad was more on the film where it was defensive assignments that he was missing or a little bit slow on that he's he's made growth in. He's certainly progressed from the beginning of the year. Not quite where you want it to be, but it's much better and enough so that you can keep him on the court. Uh, offensively, I really liked, and we noted on the stream how he was seeing the floor better and reading the defense well and making the right passes. Several games prior to that game, he was catching and just trying to drive immediately, no matter what, no matter what the situation was. If he was driving into three defenders or no defenders, it didn't seem to matter, and that's not the right way to play the game. We, I think, have seen, and, and it goes up and down game by game, but in that Boston game, he seemed to play more within himself and drive when it was there and create drives that, uh, you know, create good scoring opportunities at the rim that may not have been there for most players, um, but know where his limits are and see open teammates when they're there. And we saw him be impactful in a number of different ways in the box score. So I was pleased with him overall. I do think the... THT Caruso combo is an interesting mm-hmm. one that bigger picture I don't know we can rely on as much and the concern on that with that group is that defenses won't respect their shooting and like we we touched on earlier Boston when the Lakers cleared out whether it was KCP and I don't know picked two of our best shooters or Caruso and THT which Crusoe shot well, THT not so much, and Crusoe doesn't have a, a big long history of being an elite shooter. Those are two guys you might sag off of or zone up weak side, send extra help at LeBron or AD, and we've seen other teams do that, and other teams will do that, and we're going to talk about Denver later. They're going to do that. Boston didn't. Boston respected those two guys as shooters, and the other players as well. It wasn't a THT Caruso thing. It was just a general Boston defensive approach thing and so in that way I feel like we got away with one and we saw that lineup not be exposed or that that group not be exposed for how it could have if you can work around that shooting piece of things I really like that combo and I really like the minutes that we're getting from THT overall so interesting kind of stuff pulling out of this game Tim um Man, I'm on, on cleaning the glass right now. And per cleaning the glass, the Lakers had an 81.8 offensive rating in the half court against Boston. And were able to pull it out. Boston, uh, alternatively, had a 96.5 half court net rating. Or it's not net rating, excuse me, offensive rating. So, and, and we saw it there early in the first quarter where Anthony Davis, you know, put up five offensive rebounds in the first half and really dominated down low. And he he got a little more quiet as the game went on, but he did finish the game 11 for 25. And it that it has seemed like a couple weeks since we've really seen him take 25 shots. I don't know, have that number off the top of my head. It just seems like he was intentionally more aggressive and Boston really struggled to find matchups to 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 hurt, you know, to 
to stop him in, in, in the paint. And Tristan Thompson, you know, we remarked on our why your team sucks segment of the preview. He's just not giving you what they need from him right now. And Anthony Davis, you know, 27 points, 14 rebounds, a couple steals, only one turnover. He ended with six rebounds uh, offensively. So what did you think about AD as far as kind of trying to get things going a little bit more uh, on the end of this uh, long road trip? Mm -hmm. That was something we noted at, I think, the end of the first quarter on the stream. It was like, oh, wow, AD and LeBron are making up X percentage of the Lakers offense right now. Not just in the points, but the shooting attempts and, and the assists and even the, the turnovers. Like the true usage of those two guys was so high, especially early on. And it, it ebbed and flowed as, as the game went along. But you can tell they were giving themselves into this game. And this was the most points or, or uh, most shots. So 80 took 25 shots in that game. That's the second most on the season. Uh, the most shots he took was January 1st against San Antonio. So he was yeah. as involved in the offense yeah, from a shot standpoint, it, it, you know, for the uh, second most of the whole year, um, second most of the month. So yeah. very involved. I liked that. LA still, like, there's still things they can do better in terms of making life easier for him, in terms of clearing out extra help defenders. Um, but eventually they seem to make the right call and get him back to some true 1v1 matchups like he was able to get early on in the game. So I was pleased with that. Uh, I don't really accept the criticism I hear here and there of like, oh man, AD's taking these games off. LeBron's taking these games off. It It's a mix of, like the effort won't be the same every game, but these guys are trying and they're trying to win. They're playing big minutes. AD's played 36, 35, 36 minutes. He played 38 minutes, 37 minutes, 33. Like, he's he's playing a bunch of minutes. He's trying to win these games. He cares. This is a competitor. When the Lakers' defense wasn't looking good, he took that personally, and he challenged his teammates. These guys want to win, but it, it, them trying to win doesn't always equal more shots taken if that's not what the defense is giving you. But thankfully, in this game, we saw Boston kind of let him do his thing 1v1 at points in the game and didn't force him to be a playmaker, which he can do, but he's weaker at. So it was a better uh, game flow and defensive scheme for AD to play well. And I mean, his shooting percentage wasn't fantastic or anything like that, but he was certainly, he had his imprint imprint on the game all over the place offensively and defensively as well. And definitely felt like his mid-ranger, who had, which had been off for about a week or so, had come back in this game. Um Interesting here, Lakers only had 22% of their shots at the rim. That's really bad. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of that is Boston switching defense. And whenever LeBron would try to attack Kemba, they would immediately send a double team. And it wasn't a great answer for the Lakers to take advantage of those plays. We saw quite a few turnovers from LeBron in this game overall um, with uh, five turnovers. So LeBron had an okay game, uh, you know, 21 points, seven assists, six, seven rebounds, seven for 17. We saw a little bit of, I think, him trying to get Anthony Davis involved more than looking for his own shot. He did take 11 threes, which still remains, you know, he made four of them. So pretty close to on track for LeBron in this crazy three point shooting. Maybe we'll eventually Tim as more data comes in, take a deep dive in LeBron shooting. I think that mm-hmm. could be a good, um, a good topic to cover in depth from every angle. Once we get, you know, maybe a couple of weeks more worth of data, but yeah, man, I thought it was a good 
good close game. You know, we saw, obviously both teams scoring under a hundred. You know, it's very defensive oriented, but the Lakers really struggled to guard Jalen Brown in particular, who's playing incredible right now. And he made a, a ton of tough shots, but you know, as far as having a guy to to try and keep up with him, if it were the finals, I'm still slightly concerned because uh, LeBron just doesn't have the step to keep with him as he takes him off the dribble. But that will be for another day, Tim. Anything else you want to throw out uh, in reaction to that Boston matchup? No, I think we covered most of it. I I do want to note, so we got a lot of switching from Boston that, that game. And the other team that switched a bunch against the Lakers this season has been Houston. And between those two games, both LeBron and AD's shot attempts were down a good bit. AD more so than Braun, but the fact that against Boston, LA was still able to get a lot of offense through to, through those two guys, even if it wasn't the most efficient, I think speaks to the growth that they've made in terms of attacking that kind of defensive scheme. Because in those two games against Houston, AD had 12 shots and eight shots, which I believe, uh-huh. yeah, those are his lowest two shooting attempt games on the entire season. Um, sending extra help, switching actions, taking away his dump offs in a lot of cases, taking away his like lobs or rolls. It, that's a lot of his offense. Um, but it, we, we saw him be able to still score a good bit against Boston and yeah, just a, a tough, good team win. Uh, we shouted out a bunch of guys on the pod for different specific things. I like Schroeder attacking like Jalen Brown or some of those wingy guys defending him with his quickness. Uh, Harrell played decently and it was, it was just a good team win overall. Always like to see us get a win against the green machine. All right, Tim, moving on. Let's try and preview this week here coming up. Lakers with a little bit of a softer week than the last week. So tonight, before we record, we will not be able to get to the matchup with the Hawks. That's kind of in our dead zone of content creation. So we're not going to touch that one. But the Lakers do have a big matchup with the uh, Denver Nuggets coming up on Thursday. So so right now, again, numbers per clean glass. The Nuggets are sixth in the league in differential, plus five. Uh, they are fifth in the league in offense at 117.6 and 20th in the league at defense at 112.6. Uh, just to give you a little context, the Lakers have dropped a little in offense. They're down to 112.5 and they're, they're up at number one still at 104.8, a couple of points better even than the next closest defense. So Tim, obviously we saw this matchup really closely. We, we studied this matchup and the adjustments in our first couple episodes of the pod coming back. So without Jeremy Grant, without Mason Plumley, this team's looking a little bit different, you know, Jamichael green entering the fray, Michael Porter jr. Stepping into a bigger role. Now he's finally out of COVID protocols. How do you see this new tooled matchup against the Nuggets? And is it is it considerably different than these two teams started in the playoffs last year? It's it's similar. You still have the same two leading offensive engines for Denver. One big difference, in addition to the couple personnel changes, is that Jamal Murray's playing like a mortal now instead of hitting 51% on pull-up threes on like eight attempts a game, which was ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Such a I dare crazy say run he, from him. I dare say that he's playing like Jamal Murray again. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Uh, we've <laughs> seen some guys like – so like Jeremy Grant's a good example. Last regular season, his advanced data was it was okay. It wasn't anything special. Had a great playoffs and he's buoyed off of that uh, this year and, and played very well in the regular season. 
Murray was fine this regular season, had a great playoffs, and is kind of just still fine now. Uh, so the small samples can lead you astray in different points in time. But Murray's still very good. Jokic is still incredible. He's putting up a year that that I I mean, I'm not tracking everything game by game, but I'll see, you know, MVP for uh, Embiid, MVP for Jokic, MVP, MVP for LeBron, Giannis. He's one of those guys that is putting up the performances to at least be in that discussion. Uh, he this- absolutely sunned Rudy, Rudy Gobert last night. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Like 47 points. I'm talking like like attacking him from the three-point line off the dribble, mm. dribbling into the post, drop spinning off of him, going up and under on the other side of the rim. Absolutely sunned Rudy Gobert. Sorry, I had nice. to say that. Hey, no, I'm I'm good with that. This this is going to be here's one way I'm gonna look at this game. This is the Gasol post trials part two. Yeah. We saw part one against Embiid. I thought he did well. Uh it wasn't perfect, wasn't complete shutdown, but he did well. And this is that second big matchup and probably the more important one because this is the one that we might see in the playoffs uh, m- more likely than facing Philly in the finals. You need both teams to make it there to, to get to that. Uh, so that's going to be a big challenge. Jokic is really, really good. And Jokic isn't just good as a post scorer, but as a pick and pop guy, pick and roll guy, short roll, slipping spotting up attacking you off the dribble like all of this he'll run inverted ball screens sometimes so it's truly going to be a challenge to defend this team even with some of the changes that have been made and even with murray not quite being the same uh status of elite ball screen ball handler um but i think you defend them in similar ways as the playoffs i anticipate they're going to attack LA's catch hedging the same sort of ways string them out turn them into switches by the end of the game it's gonna be like oh LA went in and just decided to switch everything but in reality they may catch hedge and the nuggets are forcing switches so that's what I'm expecting to see I'm expecting to see them approach the Laker offense in similar ways with extra help on post-ups maybe some of that pre-rotating during drives like we saw last playoffs the Lakers don't have the lob option anymore they don't have the dominant offensive rebounding with Dwight where you just would clear dudes out and be able to win on the boards like that um Trez is, is good on the offensive boards but I think LA's some of the good pitches we threw to beat some of their defensive adjustments aren't there anymore so right. they may throw those same things at us and see if the LA can beat that type of defense with this specific roster. And I think that's going to hurt the Caruso THT lineups. They're going to sag off of those guys. I think it's going to hurt AD and LeBron attacking in the post. This is a team that is going to bring help from the baseline. They're going to have like four help defenders with a foot, if not two feet in the paint, ready to help high side, low side. It's going to be a pain in the butt. You can't stand still and beat this defense. You need to be pinning in with those flare screens. And that's what the Lakers did to beat them in the playoffs last year. So I want to see some motion. This is a good game to show progress in that respect. Uh, With ball screens, you've got to do all you can to contain Murray and Jokic. Um, And another guy, Monte Morris, is another really positive offensive player for them. And he's a similar, really elite ball screen sort of guy in a lot of different ways. Um, So that's kind of what I'm looking out for today. I think there are more granular things we can look at in terms of how you might want to defend specific things, but that I think is bigger picture. Some of what will be going on. I think that's a great breakdown, Tim. And um, I want to ask you a couple other specific things too, about how the Lakers change in personnel changes, what adjustments specifically that they're capable of making to the Murray Jokic pick and roll. And separately, 
We saw in the Philly matchup, you know, Gasol fared pretty well against Jokic, but Trez struggled and Trez very notably throughout the whole league struggled against Nikola Jokic in the playoffs last year. And Nikola Jokic is going to play, you know, 30, 35 minutes and Mark Gasol is not. So is this something where you just ignore putting Trez on uh, Jokic entirely, put him on Millsap when he's in or put him on somebody else like Jermichael Green? Or is this like you take a chance and see what Trez on Jokic looks like with your players? So sorry, I'm asking like five questions here, but I'm just very curious about how the change in personnel for both teams and you know, with Trez kind of looming as a potential weakness in this matchup, how we can get a jump on making the adjustments we need to figure out what is possible later down the road. Right. I don't know what Frank Vogel is going to do. The right answer to me is to use AD on Jokic in the yeah. non-Gasol minutes. That lets you, he's a better post defender and he fair, he's, he's going to do, he'll do better against Jokic than AD will do against Embiid given their, their style of post-play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps that Jokic has some very clear tendencies when he attacks in the post, and AD's a very smart post defender. He does a good job of jumping and sitting on specific things. So uh, keep an eye out for that. For example, um, when Jokic is posting up from the left block, he'll face up and take his jumper sometimes. But if he's not facing up on the left block, he's almost always going... Uh, middle. He's always going to that middle. He's going to try to hit that hook shot. So sit on that. Try to make him go baseline. And he's very uncomfortable and very inefficient with that. Um, That's just one example of 80s, that kind of smart dude that's shown that he can do those sorts of things and execute well. I don't know about Trez. Um, What this also helps with is if you do have AD on Jokic and you run and uh, Denver's running those specific ball screens, you can switch more easily more, with more comfort knowing that AD can probably guard Murray better or Morris for that matter, better than Trez would be. Trez on Millsap with AD on Jokic might actually give us the right four five combo. I think to optimize <laughs> those two guys overall, I still think both of them are better as that perimeter big, not the anchor big, but for, for that game, make AD the anchor big, have him defend Jokic. He's going to be guy, the guy more defending the post and in ball screens. Trez can be a, a help side rim protector. Um, and and I think that will make him look much better than he otherwise could. If Frank doesn't scheme that up, we might see Jokic sunning Montrez Harrell for a good bit of, it's gonna of be this rough. game, especially if Gasol gets in foul trouble or isn't going to play 30 minutes. And he's just not. Yeah, uh, not yet. If, he, if he were going to, we would have seen that against Embiid. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what you have to look out for um, with, with so, that specific piece of it. I mean, th- throw last kind of like context for this change in personnel out there at you. For me, when um, the off season went down, looking at Denver, you know, with their ins and their outs, like I mentioned, Jeremy Grant was the primary defender on LeBron James for most of that series against Denver. And they lose him and kind of replace him with Michael Porter Jr. in the starting lineup, even though, yeah, same guy on the same team. Porter Jr. is coming off the bench. But now on this roster, Tim, and now the Nuggets also have Will Barton, who wasn't available in the bubble, you know, another another wing to to throw at LeBron. But here's the wings on this roster who will be, uh, you know, subject to guarding LeBron James, Will Barton, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap's a big, but we've seen some some time on him there. 
Maybe you put your Michael Green on him. Maybe you get some PJ Dozier minutes or Michael Porter Jr. And I don't know about you, Tim, but I just see just shimmering freshly off the grill plates of barbecue chicken up and down this roster for LeBron James. Back on that because of the extra help that Denver likes to provide in in post ups and isolations. If they were like some other teams that'll just let you play one on one, and if you've got a bad matchup, you have a bad matchup. I'd look more favorably upon it, but I don't know. Like we we saw in the playoffs, round after round, like LeBron can get good matchups. He can get favorable mismatches, whether it's somebody who's starting the possession guarding him or or a switch. But if he has to attack not just that one guy, but a guy and a half or two guys or two and a half guys because the defense is providing extra help, it's going to make his life more difficult. So I agree with you. I think we're going to have a lot of great matchups for LeBron. That might just lead to more of that ISO, which plays more into Denver providing that extra help. And then if L.A. doesn't counter it, it's just high volume of us playing, you know, fighting an uphill battle where we just need to hope LeBron hits a bunch of fadeaway mid-range jump shots. Uh, So it's a... Tricky game where the coaching piece of it, I think, really matters. And Denver, I mean, they've shown us what they want to do. And we were, I mean, we won the series in six games, but, or what, five games? Five, five games. games. But, uh, like, that one specific aspect of the series was just a huge struggle. And neither of our two elite ISO guys were good in ISO when we weren't countering that extra help. Good. That's a, I mean, the looking at it holistically, I like that because LeBron can, you know, find some, some poor shots in those ISOs, you know, he's been pretty good in the mid range so far making those fadeaways. But I, the other end of it to me that helps a ton is a guy like Dennis Schroeder being able to pressure the rim against a center who's not great at protecting the rim. Yep. And, and so like, I wouldn't say that the Lakers start, well, the Lakers starting lineup is better with spacing and shooting basically because of Mark Gasol and, you know, being able to pull Jokic out to the three point line is a completely different dimension than the starting lineup had, you know, in, and we saw, you know, JaVale become less and less used throughout that series. We eventually started Dwight, but I do think that Schroeder's addition to this team particularly helps against you know, not a great defensive team. We saw they're 20th in the league on mm-hmm. defense, an amazing offense. So if our offenses are more or less the same, I do believe our defense will, you know, make life more difficult for their offense than their defense will for our offense. That makes, I, I mean, that makes sense. I think we like, we should win this game. Uh, they're going to make our life difficult in ISO, but yeah, they have, they have a poor defense and uh, I think, I think we match up pretty well. I like that Schroeder's able to beat some dudes off the dribble. Um, but I mean, I, I just, in the back of my head, I keep thinking when we play these guys in that series, we won in five games, but if you look at the minutes of Le, uh, Dwight on versus Jokic, we murdered them. And if it was Jokic versus anyone, but Dwight, we were getting our butts kicked. And we don't have that Dwight card anymore. So if Gasol doesn't hold up in this game specifically, I'm going to feel nervous about this matchup for the playoffs. Hmm. Um, Because if he can't hold up, we're going to see just it's going to be a lot of AD in that role because we don't really have any other options. And 
Tre- we know Trez isn't that good of, of an option for that. Like he's he Trez isn't a real solution for post defense. So it's Gasol as the one line of defense, and if not Gasol, then it's AD for forty eight minutes a game. Like what what's that going to look like? And AD even if AD plays thirty eight minutes, you're going to have to like mirror him with Jokic or something because otherwise Jokic is just going to kick Trez's butt in the post probably. So I mean. It- if you can mirror Trez's minutes when Jokic is sitting, right, and I know that might only be, you know, 15 that's minutes tops, yeah. but but if he's going up against Jermichael Green, that's another positive there, too. You mm-hmm. know, like Trez can be helpful in this matchup if it were a playoff series, but you got to know how to use him in those off, you know, Jokic off the court minutes, too. Yep. And and I think this is all like a very interesting conversation around Dwight helping on the defensive end against Jokic and Mark helping on the offensive end with spacing because the Mm -hmm. Lakers offense, to your point, you know, went into isolations quite a bit in that Denver series and, and AD was tremendous. You know, he, they won the series in the championship. So it's just another, like we have to beat them in a different way and using the information we had last year to inform us, you know, if, if that's going to be possible Uh, and, all these teams are new. I'm fascinated, Tim, as well, to see like AD is going to have to guard Michael Porter Jr. Basically out on the wing. And I I don't hate that matchup. I think AD at his size and you know foot speed are one of the few players capable of guarding MPJ and and kind of messing with his own shot creation and, and making that a little bit tougher. What do you think about that matchup? Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. He's been a spot up scorer. And, and like that's been his one source of offense. I don't think he's going to like try to ISO a bunch. Um, so AD on him makes some sense in terms of like he's going to be away from the play looking to catch an attack or catch and shoot. And that's a situation where AD can make the right reads and then go defend at the rim if there's a drive and recover outside. And I don't know. I, I'm OK with it. I know that if if Gasol's not in the game, AD can only be in one place at a time. So that's where it gets tricky. I I don't know. I, I think we should – I want to see – I want to give Wes a shot. I don't know. I'm not out on Wes all the way yet. But I Nor think am Kuz, I. I, I, I want to see how Kuz fares against MPJ. I want to see how Wes fares. The fact that he's a spot-up dude. Wait, you want to see Kuzma on MPJ? Give, give me some of that. He's a nah. spot-up scorer. He's a spot-up scorer. It's not like he's running ball screens. He's Pass. not some ISO Tim, guy that's going to roast you. I would throw out all data for him this year because he's played like six games tops probably would be my guess. And uh, alternatively, like I bet you he is create, self-creating much more than he was last year. Um, and again, I don't know if the data supports that. He's I would got just four made ISO shots in 10 games. Okay. I'm just saying, Tim, if you want Kuz on him, he's going to have four made ISO shots in one game. <laughs> I think Kuz has improved enough that uh, I don't think that will happen anymore. And uh, MPJ's defense has actually improved quite a bit as well. He's no longer just a sieve on defense. Um, we'll see. I mean, he might not be a sieve, but I want him on Anthony Davis. So that's a matchup mm-hmm. on both ends of the court that I'm curious to like, how, how do they guard Anthony Davis now? You know, Paul Millsap didn't work. Anthony, you know, Jokic might have to take some some time on him as well when they match up at the five in their closing lineup. So it's it's all these individual matchups are similar, but slightly different than they were last year. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's going to be a bunch of extra help from Denver, no matter how good or bad a, a matchup we think we have LeBron or AD. Like as long as we're isolating in the poster from the perimeter, I expect to see a pack paint. 
And it's going to come down to can those players make the right reads and pass the ball out if they need to, or can they make tough, tough shots? Or can the Lakers coaching staff scheme them into better looks, which has been the ongoing recurring weakness of the staff uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. So Denver's a, a team that's going to make us more vulnerable offensively than other teams have from that one respect. But like you said, we have some good matchups across the board. And as long as the Lakers can do the right thing to keep the floor spaced and let the right players do the right things, I, I think we'll be able to make some of these guys look silly in, in isolation situations. And LeBron and AD can both have really good games. And a big key to the game is limiting the Nuggets offensive rebounding of which they have the number one offensive rebound percentage in the league. They have been top three for the past six seasons. So that's a big part of their game. Um, so, yeah, it means they're I, probably vulnerable in transition and they do have, to see I think, the worst or second worst transit. They, yeah, they have the third worst transition defense of any team. That's likely correlated. If you're crashing more to get more boards, you're going to have fewer guys back to defend in transition. So you have to secure the rebounds first. But once you do, yeah. be looking, be aggressive in trying to push the ball down the court, because likely play after play, Denver will be more vulnerable than the average team in terms of their transition defense. I like that. Yeah, that's good. And it's been a quiet couple games here for KCP, who usually gets a couple buckets a game in transition on those head-aheads from LeBron. So I do expect to see, hopefully, a bounce back from KCP. And uh, Kuzma as well, you know, I, is is positive in that respect, streaking up the court alongside LeBron. I don't want to say that I, I don't think he can guard Michael Porter Jr. I, I doubt it, but... <laughs> If possible, uh, you know, by all means, I would not start there. I would probably start with Wes, you know, as a, a, a an option too. But in the starting lineup that they're strutting out there, like it's probably going to be AD in those initial matchups uh, against Michael Porter Jr. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to watch that. Yeah. I have one last thing for this game. So Denver rarely plays drop coverage or like they'll use it some, but it's among the fewest of any team. We're going to see a lot of more aggressive screen coverages. It's going to look like a lot of what the Lakers have been doing, which means the Lakers can attack their defense in similar ways teams have been attacking the Lakers defense. So when when they're running those catch edges or some, they'll even screens. double team more than just yeah. about anybody slipping. So taking advantage of the fact that there are two guys on the ball and that screener either for a pop or a slip or roll, he's going to be open. So hitting that screener, um, and I think having LeBron be the screener, it, it would be a really great way to attack this kind of coverage, get him attacking in totally. a four, four on three downhill. Um, that's one way to do it or to take advantage of the fact that when that if you do have guys rolling, a tag is going to come and somebody's going to be you're going to have a numbers advantage weak side um, or do what you can to remove that tag from happening to make those rolls more open or the pick and pops more open. So those are the three general concepts to attack that kind of defense. We'll see what the Lakers opt into doing. What we can't see is Denver showing hard or blitzing on ball screens and LeBron just retreating, letting the defense recover and then trying to attack again, which is what we saw a good bit of last playoffs against them. It was more indecision. We need more quick thinking. You have to know what they're going to be giving up and just go take it. Oh, I love that. I, any time this season you ask for more LeBron screens, I will be in support because it's been really good. You know, him screening for Schroeder. He's made some plays in the short roll. He's obviously like one of the best players you want in the short roll mm -hmm. to attack the rim, being able to, you know, distribute and, and yeah. attack from every position. 
Right. Or THT. Uh, the Lakers, the last game against Boston, used THT in the short roll. Not as a playmaker, but go attack downhill. Numbers advantage. Like, there are different ways to approach this. These numbers, I think, I mean, unless the numbers are wrong, the Lakers have not hit a three on a ghost screen all season. Wow. Uh, they're over. Like, over, I think, eight or something like that. Over nine. So, not a huge sample, but between like Wes and KCP setting and slipping those balls, inverted ball screens for LeBron and, and running to the three point line, catching and shooting. We have not had success there. So instead of that, you would want to try to attack in that short roll going downhill. So that's, that's one way to do the attack, this type of defense or do what Jamal Murray did against the Lakers and string out those hedges and then get LeBron on MPJ or Jokic or Millsap or mm-hmm. whoever it happens to be, or Schroeder for that matter, because he can dr- blow by some of these guys with his quickness. So there are different ways to attack this kind of defense. Hey, you can redirect, reject ball screens if they're not forcing you to use the screen because that screener's the, the, the big man's going to be high and not able to recover. Um, so I don't know. There are a lot of different ways you can attack the style of defense. We'll have to see what LA does. We haven't seen too many teams play the Lakers this way, but we're certainly equipped to have success against it. Good stuff, man. So let's take a quick break and then we will come back and uh, close out with our why this team sucks segment, which has become a fan favorite so far. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Sam, and we are back. Last preview pod, we did preview with Harrison this matchup against the Pistons. We are playing them again to close out our season um, contests with them. So we just previewed this team in a little more serious way, Tim. So instead, listen, we can go into plenty of reasons why Detroit sucks, but I know that you you have a particular lane open to you that uh, I want to hear more about. So, so talk to me about why the Pistons suck, Tim, even though they beat us without Anthony Davis. Yeah, so I'm I was a little upset about that, and that helps motivate me towards uh, putting some <laughs> your of Lakers this exceptionalism. Was, yeah, was yeah, boiling. it fueled it. It was it was a little fiery putting some of these together and doing some Pistons research, and and I had to do a little bit of research because they're not usually on the front of mind for a lot of people. They haven't been relevant in a little while. I was looking at their Wikipedia page and and looking through trying to learn more about them, and I saw uh, from from 2008 on is labeled as the rebuilding years on their Wikipedia page, and two of the four subheadings are (laughs) failed rebuild was one of them, and then more struggling was one of the other two of the four (laughs) topics within the the rebuilding years. Um, 
but I learned a little bit more about their mascot situation. So I don't know if you are familiar with their mascot Hooper, but uh, we'll get to him in a little bit. He's he's a cute horse fella. Um, he replaced what I have to imagine is just I, I don't, this has to be the the worst mascot I've seen, Sir Slamalot. And I want you to stop what you're doing right now. Like seriously, okay. whatever you're doing, just stop. Okay. Pull out your phone. And I want you to Google Sir Slamalot. You, Tom, and you, the listener. Okay. I don't. And I want I you to look at this. I want you to look at this dipshit. Look, pull up Google images. There's only one picture for some reason. I can only find one picture of Sir Sam- Slamalot. Wow. He did not last long. And so, if you aren't looking at him right now, I'll try my best to describe this atrocity. So, wow. just picture a man. It's not like a, a big suit, like you know, bigger. It's it's clearly a person. They have a red morph suit on. It looks like. On top of that morph suit, he has a shiny gray vest. And what I can only describe is looking like uh, – have you seen the, the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still? Yes. I don't know. That's a little bit old. Gort, I think, is the, the robot's name. It's like the lamest robot you could you could pay homage to. But uh, it, it looks like a rejected Power Ranger, I guess, is another way to, to put it a little bit better. Um, a little bit more topical there. Uh, so Power this guy, Forward Ranger. Whoa! <laughs> this guy was in the pitch meeting when Detroit was going over their offseason plans. Um, so, so he's looking like a Power Ranger, with like a gray rejected Power Ranger with the red suit. He has like blue gloves on that look like cleaning gloves. Like he's about to scrub up the aftermath of like a dollar slice <laughs> night actually. at Little Caesars Arena. Like he looks like he's about to go into a disaster zone of a bathroom. Um between his gloves and elbows, he has cuffs for some reason, like eight inch cuffs. Like we're talking like the Sam Hinky, uh, like collar of cuffs, just way too big. They almost look like uh, toilet pa- or, uh, paper towel rolls. They're so large. Um, so that's interesting. He's wearing blue shorts on naturally. And it almost looks like he's wearing gray shin pads. I don't know if you were able to find the picture that shows like his feet and his like ridiculous white shoes like the the most grandpa of grandpa shoes but with like gray shin pads like he's about to go play a, a in a children's soccer game or something i don't understand it it's it's like it's like he forgot today was halloween and he had to just go make a costume out of random stuff in his basement i That's love it it, like. it it looks like pseudo robocop inspired with this like weird like metallic underneath it's like Robocop on top and Rodney Magruder on the bottom. <laughs> you know, because yeah. yeah, Rodney Magruder, famous <laughs> Pistons alum. Okay. Um, I don't know what to say, Tim. This is bad. It's it's bad and they should f- feel very bad about this. They, they clearly have. There's only one picture left on the Internet. This guy was their mascot for like three full seasons before they killed him off. But he, you can only find like one picture of him. It's crazy. Uh, I would imagine like this This should be everywhere. How have I not heard of this? So I credit to Detroit for trying to wipe the history books of Sir Dunks a lot. Um, but they have so, replaced him. That fortunately, with, you know, a very innocuous, much more normal looking mascot. <laughs> yeah, and a horse. The, we're going to play it safe. It wasn't yeah. the Philly fanatic of mascots. It wasn't gritty. It was the we're going to put something unoffensive out there for the people that we can't possibly get in trouble for or like doesn't like it's it's hard to make fun of him. I just want to take a minute too and absolutely 
uh, demolish their city jerseys, which they wore against the mm. Lakers. Now, Nick, Jaylee, and I did a fun, like, you know, raking all the city jerseys pod on his uh, to start the season. And this was one of our, like, truly awful picks because, Tim, if you haven't seen it, it's blue and it says Motor City and then the number and then Detroit, Michigan. And anytime you can put some punctuation on your jersey, you got to get that comma in there. Detroit, comma, Michigan. You know, it's like they forgot their home. It's much like the Boston jerseys. Like they forgot their homework was due. So they looked at the Thomas guide sitting next to them. And it's just like, okay, yeah, it's the Motor City, even though, you know, it's not really what they're known for as much anymore. They're bad. They should feel bad. They it's better than those awful like road jerseys they had, like the streaks and up the it's bad. The Pistons. Look, I still have bad blood about 2003. I'm still bitter. Yeah, of course, I'm still bitter. I'm that's the finals I'm most bitter about. I that one irks me the most. We were better than that team and and it, it didn't work out. Credit to them, you know, Phillips, Hamilton, the Wallace guys that like they had that good team. Uh, and I mean, they've they've won more recent championships or a, a larger number of more recent championships than some other teams we've trashed in the past seven days. But uh, yeah, that was uh. um, getting back to the jerseys. I, I also didn't like how their city jerseys are like the same exact jerseys as their normal ones, just with the slight design change on the very front center of the logo. It's it's so bland. And then their away jerseys are just like an off white instead of a white. I don't, I don't like that. It's it doesn't look all that clean. Uh, they're like the and I'm a Flyers fan, but they're like the Flyers of the NBA where they're they're known for like like the history of the Pistons is like them being sore losers and beating the hell out of people in game. And uh, and oh, and I guess like the malice at the palace is like another big. Like, <laughs> oh, remember that time our fans fought a guy who like. All right. Hang on. This is from uh, I, I solicited some some ideas from the discord. And this is from t- uh, Tim in the discord. Not me, Tim. Other Tim. Since their last championship, like 16 years ago, the most notable thing the Pistons have done is get beat up by a guy named World Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was fantastic. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I appreciate that. They got Jared Goff as their quarterback now. Come on, we could go on, on and on and on. Um, no, but like a little more serious note, <clears throat> like talking actually a little bit basketball. I think it's actually crazy as fuck that Blake Griffin just like doesn't dunk anymore or can't dunk anymore. It's it's not only, you know, obviously he's been through some physical decline. He's getting older in general. He was already one of the most freakish athletes we've seen. So we knew that's probably trending downward no matter what. But he's taking like 60% of his shots from three, Tim. And and he made the Lakers pay. You know, they did beat the Lakers, you know, causing them to only score five points in the last like nine minutes of the game there. But, you know, Blake just. I want to say that it's impressive, but at the same time, there's a lack of aggression there. I kind of going through the motions that feels like it's truly a rudderless team without a solid direction. You know, I still have Derek Rose on this team. Killian Hayes is out with an injury. Now they're their top rookie. You know, they drafted a center. They signed a couple centers. So like, what is this team actually doing? Uh, You know, in the near future, can you see any paths where they're good in three years? I don't 
think they have the building blocks right now. I think Jeremy Grant's playing well. I mean, Plumlee's probably not a future piece for them. Uh, the the rookie they drafted has been injured a bunch. He has, like we haven't really gotten to see him play much, and when he has played, he hasn't played all that it well. But it wasn't small good. sample. He's been like, yeah. yeah, no. So I don't know. I wouldn't have a ton of confidence. Those the, Blake is playing like he went in a time machine, played the bad boy Pistons, and like doesn't want to go in the paint anymore. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Like I I won't. I won't. I'll I'll stay out here. You leave me alone. I don't want to get injured. Like I'm on the tail end of my career. I want to be able to like be healthy afterwards. That's like he plays like he's playing the bad boys, um, but still like he hit several threes against us that last game. That was that yeah. was disappointing. And looking at the film, it was inverted ball screens, Lakers showing and recovering. And when you do that, you can't leave too early. And when you've got Schroeder or KCP, one of those guys, they're running up to Blake and basically just like waving to him and then leaving and just letting him be wide open before his man can re- actually recover. Those guys need to get up in his face, make him either pick the ball up, turn his back, like make him stop momentum, stop him first, and then get out of there. You can't just take a step over, check the box, and then get back to your guy. That's that's going through the motions on defense, and that's that's a way that we were giving up. Like he's not sprinting into threes. He's kind of like walking into threes, and he can make those. So you have to be better with that. Um with AD back, I believe AD. Well, I mean, we don't know yet. But uh, what, is, what is this game on? Like Thursday? Uh, I think it's on it was Saturday. This game. Saturday, yeah. So mm-hmm. we have no idea who's going to play or not. But uh, assuming AD's back and the Lakers are healthy, should take care of business. That last game we lost against them was a, just a really bad uh, execution. Not great shot making from the Lakers. Yeah, we can certainly do much better. Uh, and then shifting sh- hard right turn. Do you know what pops up when you Google is Dwayne Casey? You know how it's like, you know, is are the Lakers and then it'll like autofill. What pops up when you type in is Dwayne Casey? I want to say it's something dumb like Canadian. Nothing pops up. Zero things pop up because <laughs> nobody's asking about Dwayne Casey. There's nobody care. Like <laughs> nobody cares. Apparently. There's nobody's asking any questions. So which isn't which isn't the worst thing for him because he just came from a situation in Toronto where like he was most known for just just them them getting their butts kicked by LeBron's Cavs. Like Coach they the had air. great years, but it was like, man, this was so bad that you can't come back right after you won Coach of the Year. That, that's how bad they were getting their butts kicked. And now nobody's even asking questions. So shout out to Dwayne Casey for uh just just like Blake Griffin finding a nice uh, semi-retirement situation. He might not be. I don't know. Dwayne Casey's still coaching well, but uh, apparently people aren't asking too many questions. Man, some unbelievable piston slander from our guy, Tim. I want to at Duncan Smith in the show notes here so he uh, he knows to listen to this. Did, did I don't know, Tim. They also... Well, his article last week, before we played him the last time, after LeBron's going nuts after team after team, I I felt like Duncan put out a – he put out a like, here's why LeBron should win the MVP if he wants to. And I was like, I see you, Duncan. I see you trying to like take off that like chalkboard material for LeBron. He's going to go a little bit easier on the Pistons, and it worked. So we see the mind games he's playing. Well, and as I mentioned to Duncan, you know, he – he covers the team in and out and they've only beat contenders. Like all of their wins mm-hmm. are against good teams and not just like, okay to good, like very good teams like the Lakers and the bucks. And it's, it's pretty funny. And so this is the last thing I'll mention. The wired team sucks, you know, is this week. I don't know if you saw this whole thing with Rodney McGruder, Tim. I, I saw it in passing. 
But so ap- apparently, apparently some shit went down in the Warriors Pistons game in the first quarter. And Wayne Ellington comes off the bench and like tells Rodney Magruder about it. And like after the game, we got Clay was in the booth for the game for them. So he's like on the headset, right? So he's like down on the court, like, you know, like with the headset, not with the announcers. And apparently like there's this uh, kerfuffle as it was described with like Rodney Magruder and, and some warriors. And Clay's just like, man, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> he's just like, he's talking shit. He's not even good. And it's funny, and it's and then you know Draymond comes out later. Like I guarantee you, no one in the league is scared of Rodney Magruder. And it, it was funny because you know it's Draymond and Clay just like absolutely owning the Pistons and like some random dude who we, we forgot was on the team, you know. But I mean, listen, there's own players in the league on television in 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 media scrums are telling you how much your team sucks. And that's all I have to say. Yeah. You love to see it. It was pretty hilarious and they were not wrong. Yeah. I have one last thing on Hooper, the mascot. So I tried to do some research on Hooper and because he's so like just such a normal looking horse. He looks like he is just a good family man and and he goes to work and and he has a good time. He enjoys it. I tried to learn more about him, and there's an origin story for Hooper. So I was like, oh, this is great. There's going to be some crazy stuff in here. There's, it was the most boring thing I've ever read. He is born. He was born in Lucky, Kentucky, which I, I looked the Wikipedia page up for. It has one sentence in the whole Wikipedia page, and it's like, this is in Kentucky. They didn't even give him a cred. They weren't like, hey, Hooper's from here. Nothing. Um, so it sounds like they just picked a random place in Kentucky. They wanted to make sure they called out that they can't have any homegrown talent, which I, I thought was a great uh, wow. <laughs> great way to go. Uh, I don't know. Why didn't they make him from Detroit? I, I don't get it. It said he was too talented to be a That's horse a race, a racehorse. So he uh, decided to go be a mascot instead. Um, it goes on to say that he may not be the best dancer on the planet, but he loves to try. Which I thought was funny. And uh, he also rides around on the Hoopermobile, which I did some research on. It's, it's just a normal convertible with the Pistons flag hanging out of the passenger seat, which I thought was amusing. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, this cra- Here's a direct quote. This crazy horse has been with the Pistons since 1996 when the Pistons adopted him because of his excitement and refusal to leave the building. So did he get fired for those three years and then they brought him back? Like, what's the history that if he's been around since 96, why did we get like Power Ranger forward, man? I think Power Ranger forward man was, I th- well, he was before that, I'm pretty sure. Wasn't he? I, listen, man, Maybe I'm getting you're my the ears mixed up. You're the expert. My, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Sir Dong Salat was only around three years. He he actually was, a, I think, a tribute to Sir Mix-a-Lot. When did, uh, when did that song come out? Not anytime recently, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Baby Got Back came out in 1992. Okay, so he was, I think he came out in 94. I think he was 94 to 96, and then the horse was 96 until now. So the horse is like, what, 24, 25 years old? Wow. It's pretty good. I mean, that's longevity. That's a, uh, he, he could have gone the horse racing route and had a couple good years, but... He's got a good thing going. So shout out to Hooper. We have to go update that Wikipedia page and make sure people from Lucky, Kentucky know that they've got a hero from their town. Uh, and, and shout out to, to him. But the other the other mascot stinks. I think that's all I have. 
unbelievable. He's he's just a couple away of years away from have seeing more Boston uh, more championships than the Boston Celtics. <laughs> so you know, just put that in your pipe and smoke it. I like the segment, Tan. It gets us to go back to our silly roots. You know, old school listeners know we did a lot of silly stuff uh, in the Taking Charge pod back in the day. We've been slightly more serious and put together on our comeback. So if any of our fans have some fun ideas for segments or, you know, silly concepts you want to get us into in the last 15 minutes or so at the end of pods, just let us know. But for now, go follow us on Twitter, Tim and I uh, go follow Lakers exceptionalism on Twitch. I think if possible, we should try to maybe stream for that Nuggets game. That's a big one. And I would love to break that down for the listeners, but I know it's on the P uh, the Pacific coast. So time, it might be a little tricky anyway, keep an eye out on that. Follow us, turn on notifications. So you know, when we go live and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.